back, everybody, to Edge of the Rabbit Hole. I'm author and researcher Mike Ricksecker. With me, as always, my co-hostess, Victoria Monday, and down in the chat room, Alina, moderating the chat. We have a fantastic show coming up for you tonight. My cheeky Moravian brother, Johnny Enoch, is back with us. <laughs> He's an esoteric researcher. You probably recognize him from Mystery Teachings on Gaia TV. Also uh, on the Alaska Triangle. Johnny, I think you've been on almost every episode of the Alaska Triangle. And, uh, you know, just a, a fantastic great friend we toured egypt together earlier this year johnny welcome back to the show well thank you both for having me back on the show and and thanks for the kind words at the beginning uh i don't know what graphics team you used to put together that really cool title page there where i had the the black outline was that it Hathor's temple there in Dindara. That was Dindara, Hathor's <laughs> temple. Um, that was that was me using my you know kind of moderate Photoshop skills. I love it. I I always think you guys got great graphics on the show. So Thank you. Appreciate uh, I'd say that they're above moderate skills. But uh, yeah, that was a great tour we did in <laughs> Egypt. It was a lot of fun, and uh, it's always great hanging out with you, Mike. I will also say that the Alaska Triangle. Uh, my favorite episodes are the ones that have you in them. I think that you are actually out there with the instruments and measuring things and not just sitting in a chair, uh, you know, that you were bringing the, the, the action to it. But you also have a new book out about the Alaska Triangle, which I'm That's hearing right. everybody's been talking about to me. And if, if people watching this right now are listening, haven't picked up the new book you wrote about that they really need to get it because you nobody's ever done what you did there you you really put all of that together all the mysteries there yeah i really appreciate that and thank you so much for writing the forward to that book so uh you know it's yeah it it was i don't really want to get into the book because it's your show johnny but um yeah it was it was a real treat writing that getting back to a place i'd spent three years uh it really that show really connected us, we'd already been connected on social media, but it really yeah. kind of developed our, our friendship. And we've, you know, we've done a lot of things together since then. So, yeah, no, absolutely. Know, that- and absolutely, you know, looking at the, the shadow dimension and, uh, you know, one of the things with all of these different tie-ins to this work, as you know, you know, we look at the Alaska Triangle, we see the mysteries there that we really can look back to the ancient world in things like Egypt when we think about the idea that we have this culture of pyramids on both sides of the Atlantic, you know, you can go over into the the Yucatan or you can go up into uh, any area in the world, even China or, or Indonesia or wherever you're looking. There's no doubt, you know, that same sort of ancient civilization where we had this great global dissemination or great continental diffusion of cultures that we start to find there in Alaska when we, we talk about, you know, underground pyramids we talk about giants we talk about energy vortexes and there's so many countless stories that are fascinating from there and so that's why i think the the way that you look at these things mike the empirical data the way that you mapped it all out and put it together that must have been incredibly time consuming well i mean yeah it it took a couple years to put together ever since um ever since i got connected on to the show since they reached out and so it was you know fascinating just to kind of re-explore and bring that information together and um yeah i mean really you know johnny connecting with you on you know a number of these different projects like you mentioned the shadow dimension you had input into that and uh, bringing some of this esoteric knowledge to the forefront which you know, I got to see firsthand while we were out in Egypt, and I'm just going to go like straight to uh, Edfu. 
And I have a great, it's like 11, 12 minute video. I have it in the special features section of the Connected Universe portal of you and Mohammed Ibrahim back and forth talking about the legends of Atlantis and the writings there at Edfu Temple. It's just absolutely amazing. Uh, you're, you're way too kind with your words and I appreciate that. That's for me, the, the fascination I have with the esoteric is that there are ways that we can look at our ancient past that there have been folks on this planet that knew that we lost things due to cataclysms and great destructions and we've lost touch with our knowledge and there had to be a way to encode it. There had to be a way to put this in a type of symbolism so we could look at the breadcrumbs on how to retrace our steps. Where did we go wrong? Where are we headed in the future? That's a very important question we have to be asking ourselves right now. And I think that's why we can't dismiss our ancient religions because they should be treated like a science. And so that really is the secret and that's the importance of this. And I believe that's why so many people, so many of your viewers are looking at this right now and they're, they're wanting answers. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think there's something inherent within us that knows that uh, you know there are these secrets and there are these mysteries to our ancient past these lost civilizations that you know we're just you know getting little inklings of here and there and it seems like the mainstream is trying to really you know downplay all of this knowledge that's out there for us to gain and, but we know better there's something in us that knows better and it's it's guys like you Johnny that are bringing that knowledge to the forefront well, I, the same could be said about you, Mike. You know, you're bringing this knowledge to the forefront, and we all have a way. Uh, and and Victoria, you're doing an amazing job, you know, bringing this knowledge out to people, and you guys are getting people to ask these questions and looking at it. But we're all great messengers right now. We are, are relaying a message that we might not realize it, that something that's fascinating us or something that uh, we go through, that we have a means to teach it to other people or to pass it on, or we don't even know where it's coming through to us. But uh, again, we're picking it up like, like a signal, like a, like a television station. And so what we have to do right now is use all of our pieces of the puzzle and put them together. And the, again, I, I, don't mean to bring it back over to your work again because we were just talking about that but when you start looking at the shadow dimension this is something that people really need to look at because for years and years folks were talking about that hey i saw a shadow being or this this shadow came in and talked to me or uh, what what do these experiences mean and you know the ancients knew about this and we we've known for a long time that there are these other dimensions and worlds and things around us, observing us, and we're interacting with them. And in the future, I believe we're going to have a very good understanding of that because quite simply put, you know, the science of today was the magic and superstition of yesterday. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we're being told right now when we talk about these topics that it's just pseudoscience. Well, the science of today was pseudoscience back then. And so, yeah, it's kind of this ongoing cycle. You know, we find out something, we discover something. Others want to downplay that as pseudoscience or it's, you know, magic or what have you. But yet it comes out later that, no, this you know, this is this is true. Even things like, you know, Nikola Tesla in, in the cell phone, he's talking about, you know, we'll have the knowledge of the world in our pocket. And there it is, you know, 100 years later there, it's in our pocket. And so he did. And, and, uh, and Tesla is a great example of that with him. 
you know, people like to credit Marconi as saying that he gave us the radio. Really, it was Tesla. And Tesla figured out how to go wherever we wanted to go with that signal, whether it's under the ocean, out in space. You know, that's the future of our communications. We're going to go quantum with it. And this, this the spirituality and technology are going to become indistinguishable. And I'm not talking about... Uh, I'm not talking about the transhumanism sort of thing. I mean, there definitely is that sort of idea going on at certain levels, but I'm talking about the idea that as we evolve further as a species, we're going to realize things uh, about who we are and how we operate in that, this world around us where things that you've written about, like the shadow dimension or what's, what's there in the Alaska Triangle, that there's a purpose for it. So, for example, on the show, we've talked about uh, Ivan Sanderson in 1972, writing about vile vortices. We've talked about these ley lines. Well, we know these these, these ley lines that are intersecting all over our planet. NASA's looked at it. Uh, at it. Uh, you know, we we can look at the fact that these temples and pyramids and obelisks and sacred sites have all been built alongside this. And there's a transmutation of energy, so to speak, how it's distributed. And so what what is around us? Is it plasma? Uh, you know, what we've called dark matter. You know, I, I tend to think that our ancient alchemists knew how to tap into that as a, a possible another type of spiritual technology, so to speak. Yeah. And, and going back to Tesla, was he just really rediscovering knowledge that, you know, our ancient ancestors had, you know, the with his uh, with his tower, was that really just, you know, was he basing it off of principles of, you know, perhaps the, the pyramids, if those were power plants, uh, and, and tapping into that earth energy that, you know, we have the telluric currents and the ley lines and, and what have you. Was he just rediscovering what ancient peoples already knew? In a way, I believe that we're all just continually rediscovering things, and it's very cyclical. But with him, I, I believe he had a lot of help. You know, he tells us over and over again that, you know, he said that his brain is like a receiver in the universe. It's receiving things. He himself believed he was receiving contact from other places. As you know, I know that you've, re you know, shared memes on the Connected Universe portal and your sites, which... You guys are doing a wonderful job of, of bringing people into that community. Uh, and I, I really love the fact that you're sharing the Tesla stuff on there as well. But for that, you know, there's a lot of people like Tesla out there that receive downloads and messages. You know, we think about Srinivasa Ramanujan, uh, when we think about the calculus stuff that, that came out, string theory. Here we have this young Indian mathematician who's dreaming up these formulas. You got your Einsteins, you got people that are getting these multiple messages in their dreams and thoughts here um it happens again and again uh have you looked at the coral castle stuff oh yeah yeah edward lee scanlon yeah that's fa absolutely fascinating it, what had he discovered that you know, and he said that he had discovered the uh you know the how the ancients built the pyramids and I, I always wonder about you know after he passed did the government grab that information did, does anybody really truly know how he did that? Because he talks about, or people, witnesses talked about, you know, he had these cones. And of course, there's that black box that was on top of the tripod. How did all that work? Exactly. So, you know, there's there's so many of these ancient secrets that are being rediscovered. And uh, some some of that we discuss even on the show, Mystery Teachings on Gaia. So I did this, this episode. I don't know if you caught it. It was on the ever-burning lamps. Have you ever heard yes, of those? Yes, that was fascinating. Yeah. Thank you. Um, 
that episode that uh, was accumulation of a, a lot of different research that I had done over some time. Oh, great! Thanks for bringing it up. Uh, so, Absolutely. with that, the ever burning lamps. This is an amazing ancient technology that we have had lots of these records, over 170 medieval records about them that were written, that they found them burning sometimes for thousands of years. You know, even on the Apian Way there in Rome, you know, they, they here there, there's a lamp burning uh, and there is a perfectly preserved body next to it that's burning of uh, Cicero's daughter and in this strange you know, transparent liquid that looks like she could have just died, you know, hours before and it just continues to burn. Or you go into these other places, uh, you know, in Syria or in Egypt above the temples or any of these countries that we find these ever burning lamps that have been lit there. We have to ask ourselves, how did they do it? Because we can't fully explain, you know, how that would be possible. Uh, some of the theories are that they could have had electrical sources it could have been uh, a kind of a mercury concoction, you know, maybe something that you would find like a napalm where it's a special mixture of things that they would be using, just like the priestess of Bacchus did in Rome. But um, other theories we have is that when you go back into what the alchemist Falconelli said, he starts talking about the fact that, you know, we can tap into a field of force. And outside of our main elements, you know, there is a hidden element uh, that the alchemist taught about called Azoth, which is sort of like this, uh, maybe it's plasma, it's another source of drawing in from this multidimensional capacity of maybe an energy source. And it's very interesting that these were associated with sacred sites, places of the mystery schools. Um, you know, Helena Blavatsky said in her travels that she had found these, you know, these ancient Buddhist temples and her travels, whether it was China or Japan. And so why was that kept such a secret? Why is it in the, the same places we find the secrets of these? Let's say you go up into Tibet. They, they knew how to even move large blocks using, you know, essentially like certain musical instruments and using sound and vibration, which I believe the ancient Egyptians knew about sound, frequency, vibration. So these folks of the ancient world, they had all kinds of means of tapping into these things, of secrets that we've lost today, uh, as you've right, rightfully mentioned, with Tesla rediscovering this. And I, I do believe that, you know, when the time is right, we're going to have even more of this knowledge come to us. Now, were they um, actually lost, or do you think maybe they were suppressed? And eventually, we're going to come back to it, like you said. Because if, if it's suppressed, it doesn't fit the narrative that someone is wanting to present. You know, they want their own narrative out. Well, I think it's a bit of both. That's a very good question, Victoria. I think it's a, a bit of both. I think we lost a lot of this sort of knowledge and technology and abilities at certain points. And it, you can might look at it today like we, we talk about UFOs. Now, we know that there are folks in the know that know exactly what's going on with when we talk about extraterrestrials. The, the governments of the world are working hand in hand with them. Uh, China's working hand in hand with them. Uh, there's no doubt about it. If you look at the 80 million empty apartments that have been built, I have it on very good account um, that you might say that those aren't meant for humans. Uh, so you might you might find that, you know, we might be moving into a more hybridized civilization in the future one day. Um, let's just speculate that um, I have it on good account that, you know, from people I've talked to in the past, like the uh, 
uh, Honorable Paul Hellyer, the former Canadian Defense Minister of Canada, who's now passed away, that, you know, when I got to talk to him, you know, he told me directly when we were, you know, meeting up that he said, you know, that the extraterrestrials are on our military bases. They're working with us and, and they look just like us. And so we know that folks know about that, but why don't they talk about it? Well, because there's a huge advantage to not sharing perhaps you know, some of the technologies or some of these inside things. And there's a certain narrative that folks that are, you know, want to hold on to control or power might have. But I think in the future, we're going to evolve beyond that. Mm -hmm. I think we're already there. There's so many people, and not to use the term, it's being used so many. Oh, here comes a cat. Um, it's, been, it's over <laughs> you. I hear him jingling. Not your cat. Uh, it's my cat husband, Toby. We, oh, you missed it. We had a civil service a couple of weeks ago johnny anyway oh, um, he's my oh, life partner what? yeah okay. <laughs> anyway <laughs> um where was i going oh people are down awoke or waking up um and now they're a little bit more curious um but people who are trying to control the narrative or um there's no nice way to put it dying away going away just well, you, you know you, <laughs> but here, here's the interesting thing the universe has a very strange way of using people in all areas to to bring about change and you know as we move in this collective consciousness you know we might have all these different ways of looking at things the the changes that we're going through right now and what we'll go through in this decade and and those ahead you know there's going to be incredible times of human ingenuity and, and beautiful and amazing remarkable things that you're going to witness there's going to be some things that are going to be challenging as we go through growing pains uh, even the world by 2024, I believe, is going to be unrecognizable. Yes. There's going to be things by the end of this decade that are going to be strange. And at first, when these things happen, you know, we might point fingers at certain people or we might be uh, arms in the air because of certain, you know, changes in the world and how our, our weather patterns will go and how we consume food and what that looks like. But ultimately, we will move to uh, a period that will be better for humanity as we're in this new age of Aquarius. Mm -hmm. So... Again, I was just talking to Jay Widener about this, is that we're not out there, you know, trying to endorse things by pointing them out in the world and say, hey, that's really great that this is happening right now or what's happening. You know, people are up in arms about this thing or the other. But ultimately, when that happens in our histories, when we see that kind of change, that uh, humanity starts to shift and uh, we're, we're getting ready for a more futuristic world. We are, because even my daughter will ask something and I'll explain something to her. She's like, really? And then she'll tell her friends. And so now we have like a little community of younger adults, if you want to call them that. Oh, well, I love that. It's <laughs> opening up. Yeah. So they're starting to embrace, you know, maybe things always weren't, you know, black and white and it wasn't always perfect before, but there's a new way of doing things now. So hopefully, and, you know, watch out for February 2nd next year. Groundhog Day. <laughs> Groundhog Pluto, Day. Yeah, repeat. Pluto, no, Pluto's returned. <laughs> Pluto's return. Watch out. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm from Pluto and I've been here. I don't know what they talk about return. You're the messenger of death. <laughs> <laughs> no, when but, I was in third grade, I used to tell kids I was from Pluto. <laughs> hey, you know, uh, in the ancient world, they would light up a lot of different offerings to Pluto and all the lamps. Uh, so, you know, you must be doing something right there. Plutonia. There you go. There you go. Well, let me ask you, Jai, since we've kind of gone down uh, the road here a little bit, on UFOs, extraterrestrials, that sort of thing. Uh, one of the things that fascinated me about Egypt was 
you know, right there in plain view, all the references to Stargates. And while we were there, you, you guys kind of pointed out uh, the area in which there is supposed to be a Stargate uh, in what I guess is known as Egypt's Area 51. So yes, I'm curious if there's any more information about that, what's maybe going on with it? Is it active? Are they using it? Is this something that, you know, maybe we could see more active Stargates in the future? Okay. So let me just start off by saying, I'm going to give a bit of a caveat or a disclaimer sure. here that it's interesting that when I'm talking to certain people or even online, you know, there's been comments where there's Egyptologists or something present. They, they snicker and they laugh at the term Stargate. And um, they'll be like, well, you must have been watching too much SG-1, the show. <laughs> and so uh, the, the thing is, is that this is one of the reasons why I think that what we would call Atlantis, Lemuria, Mu, all those sort of places, the great antediluvian prehistoric civilizations that are connected around the world using these ancient forms of technologies, I, I believe they all had references to stargates and doors. Whether you're up in Peru uh, that we were talking about before the show, you look at Amaru Maru, it looks like a doorway, a keyhole into the mountain. Uh, you look over into Indonesia, you look over into the Yucatan, wherever you go in the world, you're going to see this iconography that looks like a doorway you can go through uh, or a portal, a stargate. Even in masonry, you know, they have the Royal Arch degrees. Uh, and uh, it, e Egypt has this incredible... Uh, mentioning of it in, in many places, as you mentioned. And, and Muhammad, you know, is now, uh, uh, there you go, there you go. You got the symbol there for yep. the uh, walking through with the foot in the Stargate. Muhammad, he'll look at this and he, he's a big believer of this. Now he says, yeah, they must have had that. Now, what's really interesting about this is that this takes the idea of Atlantis, which remember was, it, it's a Greek story. The Greeks called it that. Um, the, the, the Greeks, they give us the story of Atlantis, but they get the story from Egypt, as you know. Right. And so, uh, when he went to Sanchis of Saïs, so uh, Sanchis went and talked to the priests in Saïs, which was ancient Egypt. Uh, and so he goes and gets the story and he learns about it from there, but they, we, we get this idea that Egypt was a great part of Atlantis, of this great civilization that had all these abilities. They were so advanced. I believe that this was uh, a civilization that was not just on Earth. I believe it was connected across the stars. And perhaps when we're told, you know, there were seven cities of Atlantis, well, perhaps these seven areas, rather than be this classic map we see drawn where there's like water and then there's all these islands splitting out with a circle in the middle of it, uh, perhaps, yes, they were a seafaring people with elongated skulls at some time, uh, as we've seen the depictions of Osiris of ancient Egypt, where he's a giant with an elongated head. But what we can look at the idea of is that why not look at these people as having this connection where they were moving across the stars? You could have a connection to Mars. You could have a connection to Orion, which Osiris is connected to, uh, as well as, you know, that area of Sirius, which was very important to them. And if you look at what Graham Hancock and Robert Boval were saying about the mapping out of this sort of uh, archaeoastronomy, of looking at the mapping out of the alignment of the pyramids and whatnot, how we see this alignment to these groups. Well, wherever we kind of go, we see this 
of this connection to the stars and star systems all around the Egyptians, which is a wonderful kind of enchanting thing you see with the hieroglyphics and all that. So I just think that these folks had a means of coming in there, whether that was transporting the Ka or the light body there or stepping through the doorways. Uh, and when we were there, you know, we were talking about the monoatomic gold or as a Greek right. Septuagint Bible calls it, the bread of the presence or mana. We've talked the about this, cakes. I think, before. Yeah. Yeah, these white cakes that they were eating, that uh, if those of you watching this have ever heard about alchemy, you know, this is kind of an upgrade to the body, perhaps the DNA. You know, uh, um, it's it's a very interesting sort of process that these folks would have had that kind of gave them that key to step through these stargates of when they were active. Uh, but to go back to your original question, you asked me if this Egypt's Area 51 was still active. Well, uh, as it's been told to me, by not only people that we could say have a military background, but also involved in the areas of archaeology, antiquities. Uh, you know, they'll they'll tell you that confirmed there is an area right beside Abu Sir and Abu Ghraib, and this area is called Zayet El Aryan, and Aryan to them just means the naked place. Well, what's really interesting if you guys Google this, if you go on Wikipedia right now and just start looking this up. Uh, what you'll find is that this area has a, a very impressive unfinished pyramidal complex there. And nobody's entered it since really the 1950s. And it's very heavily guarded by a foreign military, you know, our guys. And what you see is that it's got a, an area underneath it, a subterranean complex that is the size of New York City. And aircraft can come and go in through the top of it without being seen. Now, keep this in mind that, you know, what you'll hear from if you go out for dinner with some of the folks in the know in Egypt, which we've done before, and, you know, just the, the chit chat is that anything of real significance that's found, you know, there's there's a good a good time period before you hear about it. And so, uh, you know, if there's an area like a new discovery or a tomb, you know, like, oh, my God, look, they, they just made this new discovery you can best believe that that wasn't just some random discovery that some girl accidentally stepped into later on. That's usually been intricately, you know, gone through uh, with a fine tooth comb, you know, and, and things have been, you know, sanitized and removed with laser precision, especially underground stuff, right? Yeah, well, so, we kind of saw that at Dendara with that new crypt that they had opened up. You could very plainly see that there were fresh chisel marks where they were removing blocks. Where did those end up? Absolutely. If you see anything that's really significant, a lot of that gets, you know, um, you know, popped out. And it's not because anybody wants to be, you know, wants to be malicious about it. But quite simply put, you know, anything of that lost ancient technology, which you're going to find a lot of it under the Sahara, they're still finding it under there. Uh, same. The other place that you're going to find a lot of lost ancient technology is in the Gobi Desert. Uh, but in that area, uh, with all the lost ancient technology is essentially, uh, when we look in uh, Zayet El Ariane, I believe it's one of the, the last really active ones. And what I mean by that is how it's been explained to me is that the folks at the top of antiquities in other areas, they know this stuff is real. They know that Egypt has stuff that really you know, makes them scratch their head, but they don't know how the hell to explain it to the public. They have no way of saying, hey, this is a Stargate and whatnot. But from what I've heard is that there's these multicolored 
kind of array of colors coming up out of the ground. Looks like an aurora borealis, and they don't know what the hell it is. And it's part of that place. But again, no one's allowed to enter into that area. Even if you're the best archaeologist or Egyptologist, they won't let you in to examine that unfinished pyramidal complex. So uh, think about that. Do you think it's any accident that it's on 30 degrees north? <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, <laughs> look at um, Area 51. Mm -hmm. Look where that's at. That's on the yeah. 33rd parallel, right? Just like Disneyland. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Victoria's on top of all the parallels. <laughs> <laughs> that's me. That's all I do. Well, you have to be. Uh, and by the way, everybody, get... Victoria's new books that she just put out. She's got these <laughs> yeah. new coloring books, the esoteric. Uh, what is it? The esoteric development books by Victoria Monday. Oh, I wish. No, <laughs> it's my <laughs> my main goal is to try and make the esoteric and paranormal mainstream. So, you know, when mom's coming thought... over, you don't have to go hide the books real quick. You're like, oh, no, let me put my books up. You know, you can just leave them out. Oh, I thought, you know, at the beginning, I thought that you had these new um, coloring books out, you know, to get in touch with Pythagoras, you know, coloring the triangles. So yeah, well, there paranormal is, activities. There's, there's, yeah, there's so much to do with the triangles. The triangles are the building blocks of life, you know, 11, 22, 33. That's, you know, I could go on. But. <laughs> you know, A squared plus B squared equals C squared. You know, yeah. you gotta, you gotta love triangles. Yeah. But, you know, if you start simple, just color, just to get their brains open a little. Absolutely. So information can come flooding in there. Yeah, no, I think that's mm -hmm. wonderful. It's a great idea. Uh, and with that, you know, that that brings it back to Egypt again, though. I mean, mm -hmm. speaking of triangles and pyramids and, and whatnot, when we were up in the Great Pyramid, up in the King's Chamber, Mike Ricksecker was there and he made a great discovery up there, didn't you, Mike, with the uh, sarcophagus? That was, yeah, that was, and I have the, there it is. <laughs> I just want to say I'm not, I'm not jealous at all. Okay. Yeah. Not... yeah, and you and you filmed that, Johnny. Yeah, that was absolutely fascinating. Just the um, the observations of the, the the backside of this, what they call a sarcophagus, but really it's just you could call right. it a coffer. And what I did the entire rest of the time that we were out there, Johnny, is any time that we came across a sarcophagus, especially there at the Cairo Museum, where where they had a ton of them. I was taking a look at the construction of those sarcophagi to see if they were, you know, similar to this. And every single one of the other ones that we came across were basically, you know, you had the lid come, you know, straight down where this one, it very, very clearly comes in and slides in from the backside. So it's uh, who, whoever designed this and created this box, uh, it was not the same people that created all the other sarcophagi that we're finding throughout Egypt, somebody else. Right, and there's definitely different uses for these. Like if you go and you look at the Serapium and you see that, that there's a giant granite box in there, of course, that you know we, we take a closer look at. I believe uh, you know any of these uh, you know giant boxes that you see that they had a purpose for it. And you and I have discussed this before. I mean, we've we've talked about you know the granite boxes and what's granite composed of, you know, like silica, and we have this uh, idea like silicon microchips that it's a greater um, conduit for electromagnetic energy and uh, insulator, in fact. And so you see this, that there is a, there's a great means, almost like an energy grid. And uh, that's why I believe that some of these boxes had a, a different effect, if you will, to transmat things. Or uh, you might say, you know, give you a regeneration. In, in this particular case, 
I think that the Great Pyramid had had many different functions. I think, um, you know, we can speculate today. Uh, we can say stuff like uh, uh, one theory, you know, I love. I love uh, the work that Chris Dunn's done on the Giza Chris power Dunn. plant. Yeah. Uh, and of course, we can look at the idea that they could have functioned with water uh, water pumps. Uh, we can see that they could have functioned as like, uh, uh, of course, you know, something of, somewhat of like a portal system or for, uh, you know, moving out of there like a Stargate, perhaps. So they could have more than one function. I believe they had many functions uh, and also connected us around the planet. But, you know, that box being up there really makes me think that, you know, was it there? to transmit you or transport you or do something. It, it might have had a function like that. It could have. And just even taking a look at the Queen's Chamber, because this also fascinated me, was that that niche that's back there. And I, I've you know heard stories and I've, I've you know read articles where the mainstream basically tries to say that, you know, there was some sort of maybe statue or idol that was that was placed in there. But as you get closer to it and you take a look, you see this blatant, uh, scorching and vitrification of the stone. I mean, there is, there's no question about it that there was an, an extreme heat source that affected the stone there. Yeah, no, it's really cool. You know, speaking of which, there uh, was a really cool experience I had recently. Uh, Zhuzhana and I, we were out here in uh, Budapest, Hungary here, because uh, now I live in Europe full time. And we were there and there's a VR place, a virtual reality place. And I'd never I'd never tried VR like this before uh, because I tried the VR goggles. And to be honest with you, I was really over, you know, underwhelmed in the past when I tried VR. And so uh, we went in there and I heard really cool things about what I was walking by. We were uh, downtown and we see this sign about Egypt. They, they have some Egyptian experiences. And my God, uh, these VR parks, if you get a chance to go to one of them, like a really high-end one, it's so impressive and hyper-realistic that you experience things. Well, this was the, I think it was called the dark side of Anubis. And so you go in there, we put on the backpack and you have a torch and everything. And you, you go in there and it's like going on the Indiana Jones ride in Disneyland. When you go to the Indiana Jones ride in Disneyland, you know how they start the ride. Uh, I don't know if you've been to that one, Victoria, in California, mm -hmm. where yeah. they start the ride off and you're watching this black and white film, first of all. And you, they're going, you know, they're getting you ready about, hey, Mr. Jones, you're getting ready to go. Well, it was the same thing for this. Uh, you, you walk in there and you have the goggles on. You have this torch-like thing. You have these straps on your hand. There's a big backpack that's powering this thing. Uh, and it's so hyper-realistic, the rooms you're walking through. And as we go in there, they, they start off the film saying, Egyptologists believe there's secret chambers that come out of the queen's chamber and lead you into the underworld where you have to rescue a queen, uh, who in this case, you know, was probably like a hatship suit or something. So we go in through there, we enter into the secret chambers of the Great Pyramid in the game, and it's so crazy realistic. I couldn't believe how <laughs> hyper-realistic, and we're walking together. And as we're there, you got like a, a real torch thing. You're unlocking keys and amulets. You inquire, you know, end up getting the armor of Horus and Sekhmet's coming. And some of the platforms are shaking below you. So it feels like you're going down shafts and elevators and heading down to the Egyptian underworld. Uh, but I, I love the kick that the fact that they made the big mystery, not about the king's chamber, but it was all about the queen's chamber. That was the mystery entrance, right? That oh, that's pretty sounds cool. cool. <laughs> yeah, it's I really cool. If you get a chance to go, go to one of them and see if you can check that out. Okay. I'm there. Yeah, that sounds amazing. <laughs> so we have some questions coming in from the chat. 
So I do want to get cool. to some of these. Uh, this one is actually from our chat moderator, Alina. Uh, she says, my question for Johnny. Hello, Alina. Do you, <laughs> do you personally think it's possible we have extraterrestrial or other beings in government or in the background pulling the strings? Absolutely. It's absolute fact that you do. And they're not only in government. They're not only, you know, giving different narratives and direction in that area, but you might find that you have extraterrestrial scientists over at Oxford working with our scientists. Um, if you if you want to see an extraterrestrial, the best place that you can go and see one is on Ven in Venice Beach or go walk down the street in Las Vegas. There are certain folks on this this planet that know how to spot extraterrestrials very easily. In fact, certain technology exists to be able to scan people who have had real extraterrestrial contact. You know, if you, if you, let's say, leave this, this, this area, like uh, someone, if you're picked up by extraterrestrials, um, time is different for you. You could be gone, you know, for hours, days, or years, and it might seem like you've been gone a minute. Uh, but you know, there's certain things that can change in your atomic structure. Uh, there's certain things that will change around you. Uh, we're, we've interacted with extraterrestrials so many times, and uh, I can't tell you enough stories about not only extraterrestrials involved with government, but people I know that have encountered them, and they were shocked to find out that someone that they thought was just another human being was actually legitimately an extraterrestrial. So are you saying the queen's a reptile? No, definitely not. Okay. I can tell you that <laughs> okay. I, I, I don't believe the queen is at all uh, because I, I don't either. I have, well, I have friends that are, that are close to those folks and uh, they, ben. I asked them outright. I said, uh, I mean, Mike's, Mike's met a good friend of mine that grew yep. up, grew up with them. And um, uh, they, they, I would tell you this, the queen's a very smart lady She's very, very sharp. Uh, my personal opinion is that I think they are part of a, an ancient bloodline that that is probably, you know, very, very advanced. Um, but she's very sharp. And I'll tell you this, they have a very keen interest in extraterrestrials. Oh, uh, Philip okay. was obsessed with them. Oh, yeah. Well, you remember Da Vinci? He was um, he was kind of like AWOL for a few years. Um, and then his art changed from art to more scientific and experimental and designing and all that kind of stuff. So do you think he was taken aboard or inducted or, or taught or something by extraterrestrials? Yeah. You know, it's, it's very much possible. You know, a lot of these great minds that we have, they've, they've been influenced or they've had all kinds of uh, experiences that are connected to, I mean, some of these people are great gifts to humanity. They've, they've come out with the ability to give us a lot of information. I, I would say that, that you look at somebody and I'm not saying that he's an extraterrestrial, but look at someone like Elon Musk, you got mm -hmm. uh, Elon Musk, who's uh, very influential in our progress right now. And whether you love what he's doing or you dislike it, no one can deny the innovation that's so next level that he's oh, got yeah. and the type of protection and advancements that he has. So, you know, so, some folks like that are definitely getting help and relayed information, right? Kind of like Tesla. Certainly. Yeah. Exactly. But what of the idea that if not extraterrestrials, what if they are, it's ourselves or time travelers from some point in the future? Oh, yeah. Well, I, I definitely believe, you know, we're all in, in some cases, you know, we're all from somewhere else. You know, we've all been in other places. And I think that's why a lot of us can relate to that information. And, and it, it doesn't seem so foreign. You know, uh, all of you watching this at some point, you know, you've had experiences on, and countless places. And so um, I don't know if you're referring to the gray extraterrestrial theory that the 
the grays are us in the future. Are you making a slight reference to not, that as not well? Not directly. I mean, I could be talking about any any type of time traveler. Um, yeah, they could be, uh, you know, there's a there's an interesting story that, uh, that I've been telling recently in my presentations, basically of a hooded shadow figure that uh, appeared and basically, uh, you know, gave information this was actually quite a while ago but i'm just now finding out about the story uh when we still had the space shuttle to run some anti-gravity experiments up in space which actually checked out and worked perfectly but the idea for the experiment appeared to this one individual uh and so it's okay was that a time traveler was it an et kind of makes you question exactly who or what that was but it showed up as this hooded shadow well we we have a a disadvantage over them some of the groups out there they have um i'm trying to think of the the term is lineal subjugation so what that means is this is this is a little complicated so i won't go down this path but this is as it's been explained to me by certain folks with knowledge of these things is that when we look at something called quantum multiplicity and this lineal subjugation this is the idea that right now especially when we're being born we have a certain configuration a certain point of our reference of reality okay and all of us right now we're focused on this point of reality right now let's just say if you have a highly advanced group that comes into the picture that this linear space-time illusion that we have, we don't, I, again, we don't realize for a lot of us, it's hard for us in our human minds to conceptualize that everything is currently happening in simultaneity. It's all happening at the same time. That's why when we talk about reincarnation, you can reincarnate 2000 years back or you can reincarnate in the future or whatever point is for your best progress. But in many cases, we just have a split off of countless parallel universes that are all for the growth and evolution of your path. Well, the same is for extraterrestrials. They have a great advantage that to come into our world, some of them can influence us. If there's a certain agenda, they can go back in our history and they can inject certain things and events and realities to get us to talk about them. And you might say that there's different chefs in the kitchen that are bringing in certain influences. Um, so yes, the, you could say it's a time traveling thing. They definitely have that advantage over us. They could come back into your childhood and see something or give you something then that's gonna influence you today if they thought you were a person of great importance. There's another type of extraterrestrial that has been talked about to me, um, which I've had conversations in private about, which is called an energetic chimeras. Now you might say that this might be more of a, um, a holographic configuration that's attached to an intelligence or it could be even an artificial intelligence, like synthetic intelligence, that's able to come up and greet you, uh, have denser subatomic particles and uh, come up and greet you and shake your hand or hand you a document then disappear before your eyes. And uh, believe it or not, our own militaries have been experimenting with that sort of technology. And we have a uh, follow-up to that. This is from TFT Terra for today. Or ETs highly evolved humans who have always been here. Well, we're we're part of them. There were a great mm -hmm. experiment that we're connected to them. So yeah, they have been here for a very long time. I mean, our whole we have so many stories and biblical texts and uh, look at the Shumerians and uh, look at the the stories that we receive. You know, we are a, a great genetic experiment. So you kind of talked a little bit about this. Some of what you were uh, were bringing up 
throughout that. You were actually talking a little bit about that in the last episode of Mystery Teaching, so I think we can just kind of use this as a segue since we got about cool. 15 minutes left in the show to talk about uh, more about Mystery Teachings. I know we brought it up earlier, but um, this is your new show on, on Gaia. Yeah, no, um, I'm, thank you again so much for bringing that up. Mm-hmm. And uh, that that last episode was the psychical experiences of souls. So yeah, we did talk about the ideas of transmigration, reincarnation, past lives, but also at the same time, uh, in that episode, there were some other topics I wanted to tackle when it comes to this subject, because people talk about reincarnation, they talk about these sort of things, but I wanted to tackle it from a few different angles, you know, bring in the scientific aspects to it, you know, whether it's talking about Dr. Michael Newton and his work with clinical hypnotherapy, you know, people have talked about that before, but Dr. Jim Tucker uh, over at the University of Virginia had collected countless stories of children with past life memories. However, uh, in some of these areas that we go into, you know, people might not know that Pythagoras was a great believer in this. Uh, but Pythagoras, of course, he didn't believe in necessarily in the idea that we were being reborn as animals, but rather the animals were used to discuss the ideas of that's the, the way of the stars that you're being born under, uh, under into that configuration. But one of the things I wanted to tackle was the the cycles that we find of this in not only the animal kingdom, but whether you're talking about in plants and trees and rocks and minerals. And uh, these all have their own sort of, you might say, group spirit, or they might have their own way of regenerating and having these certain cycles. And so, uh, yeah, there's there's a very interesting way to look at this uh, when we look at the fact that uh, most people think it's just linear. They think, hey, you know, I'm, I'm going to be reincarnated in the future or I was in the past life. No, you can go in either direction when you want to be born. Yeah, that's fascinating. And I, and I loved how you actually, how you did talk about, uh, you know, animal spirit and what happens with our, with our fur friends. So, uh, you know, and I, I mentioned, I mentioned it to uh, Nicole this morning. Uh, I'd watched the episode late last night after she had gone to bed, and uh, you know, he had some photos there of squirrels. I have to. I love squirrels. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and I brought it up when we had a couple of our little uh, furry squirrels out here munching away <laughs> on, on some of the things that we leave out for them. So um, yeah, so I thought that was fascinating because you know, a lot of time when we you know kind of get into that conversation about reincarnation, you know, we're usually talking about. Uh, humans, but you had also taken it from the viewpoint of of the animal kingdom and, and plant life. You even talked about rocks and, and all kinds of different things. It was fascinating. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, I wanted to incorporate that so we get the scientific, the esoteric, the the teachings from many angles, including the religious angles, and uh, you know, exploring what karma and dharma are and the, the Sanskrit derivatives. Uh, however, the message that I want to convey with that uh, doctrine or that belief in rebirth is that it, it never has been a thing where you're forced to come here. Uh, and, you know, this is one of the hardest places, the hardest schools that you can come to, like as in the Buddhist doctrines and the teachings, they'd say that, you know, life, life is a school, not a playground. You know, it can be fun learning, uh, but, you know, for the most part, you know, we do have certain challenges here that are can sometimes be difficult. And the one message, again, is, is that, you know, we might all make mistakes from time to time. We might fall down, uh, you know, but we got to, get back up and keep going. And there's there's wonderful things to learn here, to grow and evolve from. And the the biggest pushback I've heard with reincarnation from certain religious folks is they'd say, well, 
you know, they don't want to be come, coming back here and born as like a snail or, or reborn as like a, uh, a spider or something like that. And at the same time, you know, they say, does this negate or does this get rid of the belief in heaven? And it, it doesn't because on the spirit side, you know, we do have a place uh, that we go as an infinite consciousness where, you know, we can explore the universe. We can decide whether we want to come here and how we want to do it. If we will come here at all, we don't have to. Let me ask you a question real quick. Um, on the topic of reincarnation, if one feels that they have been reincarnated, how do you know that's really a reincarnation and they're just not tapping into like the collective unconsciousness or consciousness and, you know, reliving something? Right, like a quantum entanglement. Yeah. Uh, that you're entangled into something. Uh, well, you know, we've heard traditionally terms like Akashic Records, which, mm -hmm. you know, you can go and review, but you're going to say to yourself, does this resonate with me? Uh, because there's no doubt that we do pick up these ideas around the world, you know, that uh, oftentimes when there's inventions made in the world, you'll have it that there's more than two to three people or at least, right. you know, that are coming up with the same idea at the same time. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, so this this is something that we also talk about on a later episode of Mystery Teachings. Oops. But with with that, <laughs> with that, you know, you're tapping into it. You just read it in my mind. But uh, with that being said, you know. Um, you know, we can look at the ideas of some people made arguments against the the concepts of let's say we look at savants uh, mm -hmm. or children who are extremely brilliant or gifted with mathematics or music. Some will say, well, hey, couldn't these things just be like epigenetics or genetic memory where you're just really good with something? And you're just picking that up. But you know when something's unique to you because your soul victoria is a sum total of your embodiments uh, with mike ricksecker's ability to write these books and to do these things and to have these explorations that's part of his genius mm -hmm. uh the greeks believed uh that your genius victoria or his or whoever's watching this they believed the genius was a separate being it was a daemon uh and i'm not not saying demon but Damon, we don't want to confuse those, that this was your personality, that the, the that you later on form was coming and being generated out of these things um, really quickly. If you look at the secrets of the, let's say, uh, a, a Venetian glassmaker or the master Stradivarius who gave us the violin, this isn't something he just did over one lifetime. This is something that was accumulated from, let's say, one lifetime. It was banging sticks together and elements and, and playing with chords and came back the next life where you get a, a brilliant genius art, like artist that comes into our world. Let's say, um, you know, whether it's a Michael Jackson or a, whoever it is that, that comes in our world. And they're like, wow, look at all that energy they have as a, a musician. This was something they've done many times before. Okay. Makes so it's a little long winded of an answer, but no, I didn't. <laughs> I was right there with you. <laughs> yeah, no, that was, that was perfect. So three episodes out right now. How many can we expect? Nine episodes. And every Monday there will be a new episode. Um, I, again, I'm, I'm very excited about the episodes that we will have coming out. I worked so hard on these to make sure they were jam-packed with the, the most interesting stuff that we could bring to the table. So we got we got an episode coming out that will be on decoding esoteric symbolism uh oh, and that's that it's going to be it's going to be really it's going to be really interesting the different angles there we got an atlantis lemuria episode and on that one i didn't want to bring the old atlantis stuff in there so wanted to tackle stuff like um the, the real hidden esoteric symbolism of that so there, there's a lot of secrets that we get from esoteric doctrines or even helena petrovna blavatsky who talked about these giants uh, that these androgynous or hermaphrodite 
like giants. And remember, the, the word hermaphrodite comes from Hermes and Aphrodite. And we have these double-headed giants that we talk about. Well, the interesting thing people might not know about is that in the Hebrew Midrash version of Genesis, it says exactly this, that we had this race of giants called the Adamic race, ADM. And when we go into this ancient race, this this wasn't just like a man named Adam, the uh, that we say Adam, Adam was an Adamic race of people that it talked about. Uh, Blavatsky talked about this destruction of this continent that we call Lemuria, but long story short, that just comes from Dr. Sclater and the lemurs and uh, near the area in the Indian Ocean of Madagascar. But this area of destruction we have witnessed came out of these volcan volcanic uh, um, destruction, as she was a great psychic, as you guys know. Uh, the one thing that's really interesting about that is if we start taking these hidden pieces of the puzzle, we start to see secrets of the immortality and regeneration that we find in our mysteries. Uh, and I really want to give you a quick example of that if we have time as we tick down yeah, the ahead. clock. Um, have you guys ever looked at the the history or the the mythology of let's say the month January on our calendar? Oh, Janus. Right, the Janus. Janus two, is two headed, yeah, yeah. Janus is the god that looked in both directions, mm -hmm. looking into the past and looking into the future. Right. Right. So keep this in mind that if you look into the Egyptian mysteries. If you look at, let's say, the serpents that are facing away from each other, look into the 33rd degree of Freemasonry with the regeneration of the phoenix or the eagle that's looking at the two heads in two directions, the 33rd degree insignia of the Scottish Rite. Look at the insignias in many areas of Europe and uh, around the world. You'll see that if the serpents or the birds or the phoenixes or whatever that is put in their place is facing inwards, this is the seeking of immortality. If it's facing outwards, this is the attainment of immortality and regeneration. These groups have encoded these ancient teachings from these places. So bringing that type of idea in there, uh, there's so much that we can extract. And, and lastly, on the, on the season, you can expect stuff on... Uh, quantum physics and spirituality to the life of Pythagoras and his teachings. Uh, we have the solar mysteries, astrotheology, that kind of stuff that is uh, really exciting to explore. Wow. Fantastic. I'm definitely looking forward to it. So uh, mm -hmm. yeah, check it out, Gaia.com. And uh, right now the three episodes are available. And like Johnny said, every Monday a new one drops and there will be nine. So definitely looking forward to the rest of the series, my friend. Uh, Thank but you. you also Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. You also have uh, some other events coming up here, uh, like uh, more <laughs> tours oh. of Egypt. Yes. Uh, thank you so much for bringing that up. And we'd love to get you back out there, Mike, one of these days. I know you're going to be doing a tour soon, too. Uh, but yep. uh, I'd love to. I'd uh, love to get on some uh, more tours of you. We'll have to do an Alaska Triangle tour as well. But I was going to say talking this, about that. Yeah, that would be very exciting. This tour is really exciting. We got Jimmy Church there. We got Billy Carson. We got myself. We got Jujana, of course. The the one and only, the fabulous Muhammad Ibrahim, who is a world class Egyptologist, hyper, hyper hieroglyphics expert. You know, this is going to be an exciting tour to bring these, uh, you know, these kind of teachings out. And we got some very exciting surprises there. Yeah, absolutely. And then you have one directly after that, too. <laughs> Correct. Yeah, uh, now, Immortal Light Tour. Yes. Now, um, 
you know, it's it it does have its advantages being out here in Europe because it's a lot shorter of a flight now these days for me to get over there. Right. So I can do a back to back. But this tour is a little different. Uh, this is a lot different than the tour with Billy Carson and, and Jimmy Church, whereas, you know, Jimmy and uh, Billy are going to have different ways of focusing in on the megalithic stuff, which Jimmy really likes. And of course, Billy likes, you know, the the ideas of the Emerald Tablet on this tour, Immortal Light. Uh, we have some very interesting folks. First of all, we have Paul Elder, who is the instructor on remote viewing for the Monroe Institute using military-grade remote viewing protocols to remote view the ancient past and to bring this stuff out. Um, we have my friend Hank Kreacher. Uh, You know, everybody here is a friend, of course, but um, he is a professor and he is a Masonic and esoteric scholar. And he's got a lot of profound ideas on immortality, regeneration, uh, alchemy, ancient Egypt. Of course, we can say the same thing about Timothy Hogan. If you guys don't know his work, uh, he's a renowned esoteric Masonic author and speaker on uh, also the Templar Knights, Egypt, the mysteries. He's been to Egypt with Robert Baval, uh, doing incredible things. Muhammad Ibrahim, you guys already know, amazing at what he does. We got J.P. Hag. Uh, who's uh, also, a, again, a dear friend, but also a lawyer, a researcher, and an expert on the Egyptian mysteries. And Jujana and myself, as you guys know, uh, esoteric researchers uh, that are digging into these things. But again, thank you so much for allowing me to plug those and, and get those out. I mean, this, these are exciting times when we can delve into the mysteries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, I would love to go on those tours with you, Johnny. <laughs> you should. Uh, you should come back. I, no, I, yeah, I mean, we we have Ireland and everything going on next year, and then yeah, Mohammed exciting. and I are, are put one together as well. So um, very exciting. yeah, and, and yeah, Mohammed is like the the perfect guide for he, for doing he, those. He is, and I want to say when you do put a tour together uh, for Egypt, I, I just want to give you a plug that I'm so impressed by Mike's ability to dig into things. Um, you know, he's very well versed on what these things you know, where they come from. He's got a great respect from these areas. His mind is brilliant. Uh, the way that he captivates people, bring them in. Uh, you're a natural leader at it. And I, I just think that's great too. I'm excited for your Ireland tour. Uh, when when are the dates on the Ireland? You're sold out on your Ireland tour, aren't you? Um, well, we actually had a couple of uh, openings pop up. I think there's only like two or three left now, but um, yeah. Which is there, normal. There was a, right. Because yeah, there was Pandemic like a group of five or six that, yeah. that that uh stepped out but uh yeah we've been filling it back in but that's uh july 1st through the 9th uh next that's year. that's amazing congratulations and if you guys yeah and you don't get a chance with us. get a, get, a, get out to ireland and come with mike get out to ireland sign up for those couple spaces they, they just freed up right now it's it's interesting that some people you know that unfortunately you know came came out at the last minute when we were going to egypt with our group there and they said you know hey we're backing out uh, due to the pandemic, we think that, you know, the whole place is going to be shut down due to the pandemic. You never know in this decade where we're at when you get, you know, once what what opportunity you have to travel. And if you get the opportunity, you could be looking back as some people wrote us after and said, man, I wish I would have gone with you guys. Oh, you know, yeah. the world didn't shut down. You know, we were, people were able to travel there. And it turns out, you know, it was great being able to get access to a lot of places that weren't crowded, you know. It was. And look at this. We had a great time. You know, we're all having, there's you and Muhammad. There's there, but look at the group, you know, we're all I like, having a good time. It is. I like that one of you, me and Muhammad. That's a great picture. Oh, I know. It's great. It's great. You and then, guys, then yeah, there, there, there we are with, <laughs> there we are with Mike. You guys, it was so much fun. It was a wonderful adventure. 
Didn't you say Muhammad wanted to go with us? He's going to. He wanted to go to Ireland? Uh, yeah, he, he, had, uh, he had inquired about that um, yeah. when it was going to be this year. So right. I don't I don't know if oh. he's looked into it again for 2022. But yeah, when it was supposed to be this year, 2021, he was asking me some questions about the tour. So he is he definitely would love interested. Yeah. You should. You should bring him there. Uh, he, he really wants to come to Europe. And of course, I think that's the real question that he's trying to figure out, you know, what you know, what their requirements are. I just want people to know too, that, uh, you know, it's, it's not that bad to travel these days. There's a lot of people wondering, you know, how difficult is it to travel, especially in Europe, you know, you get off a plane somewhere and nobody checks anything, you know, you just, nowadays they've eliminated all the checks. You get off the plane, get your luggage and go. And, uh, it's, yeah. And Egypt was a piece of cake. Yeah. Easy. Egypt. They don't care. You just get off the plane and it, they said, did you get your test? And you see, I, I did Habibi and it's good. And you just keep going. So you're good to go. And, and really you don't, people don't talk about COVID there. And if you do see somebody that had a mask or something in like a place, it's like down over here. Uh, life is normal. They, they, I think they've been punished a little bit, you know, in the travel restrictions over the last year because they were kind of slow to the draw in the immunization program. But, you know, the, everyone there kind of had this feeling that, hey, they already had it. And they've been having plagues for 2000 years. So they were just like, right. let's go. <laughs> yeah, I think the only place that they really gave us, you know, that they, they were really honest about museum. Uh, masks was down yeah, in the museum, down it with the royal mummies. Because when we were upstairs in just the regular gallery, we were taking our masks off and nobody was really saying much. But it was down with the royal mummies. They were giving us a hard time. Do you think it was to protect you or to protect the mummy? Exactly. Uh, you know, I was just in, I was in Italy last week uh, or a weekend ago or so, and we were down in Rome and Florence and we were there, you know, everyone is so tired of it that even in the Vatican, let's say you go into there, the officials that are enforcing the mask, they're wearing their nose, their mask right around here or here. And uh, the, the, even the, the mask people are wearing their nose. I'm just looking at them going like, what is the point of wearing the mask if, if nobody is properly wearing it? If you're wearing your mask right here or here, why have it? So they, they said basically it just looks good on the tourism yeah. requirements. Yeah. <laughs> That's how we wear ours. You know, we're required to wear them, but, you know, they're under the chin. So technically, yeah. You know. Yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> I, I respect people's concerns uh, with it out there. But I mean, I had COVID before and I have the little recovered uh, status and I, I had it. And uh, to me, I, I tell people I defeated it with red wine and Netflix. There so, you, you know, you it, was, it was the worst part. Mm -hmm. You lose your smell and taste for a little while. But for the, if you're for the most part, you know, most folks, you know, push through it. And so I, I look forward to the future when we can move past this part of our history. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Agreed. Well, we need to wrap it up, my friend. Uh, thank you so much for, for joining us. You know, you're out there in Hungary, six hours ahead of me, seven hours ahead of Victoria. And so I know it's uh, super late at night there for you, but we really do appreciate it. And, um, you know, I can't wait till we see you again because it's it seems like it's already been too long. Yeah, well, thank you so much. And I, I really appreciate being here. And it's always great to be on the edge of the rabbit hole, but <laughs> I will say this, I, I'd love to, to see you again very, very soon. And I wish both of you and all the viewers and listeners just the most amazing, beautiful night and weekend, and we'll hopefully see you on a, an, another episode very soon. Yes, hope and so, thank, hope thank so. you for finally answering my questions. Been, <laughs> been plaguing me my whole life. <laughs> yeah, her questions at the beginning of the show was, who mows the lawns <laughs> up at Machu Picchu? I said, 
These Brian, are hard Brian questions. No, you got to ask him. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> have a great night, my friend. Get some good rest. Bye, John. All right. Have a great night. Talk, <laughs> Talk to, you, to soon. you soon. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.